0: Lord, we are are thankful for your working in Chris and Adam's life. And uh, just I I thank you for the way that they have been able to start their relationship by knowing each other for over a year before they could spend any time alone together. And their their time was at Jacksonville Bible College really studying your Word and um, studying your creation and the marvels of your grace serving together in church. Thank you for that. I would pray that you'd help them, protect them, guide them, guard them uh, during this next year. I pray for Adam as he's around us; may he become a joy to us. He, he serves um, and helps out in studies and studies in seminary. God, I, I pray you would help them. I would pray also for Sr. She's off to Albania. I just I know that missions trips never go as planned, and would pray that your hand, though, would guide and direct them. I, I pray that they would. Get much video footage that's, that's good that can be turned around to help missionaries who are trying to raise support here stateside and to help um, help promote the camps there in Albania and to help give uh, Josiah Venture missionaries just even a, a vision for what's taking place over there. Thank you for the wonderful way in which you have blessed Josiah Venture. Um, just even we knew of Dave Patty who started this organization 20 plus years ago when it was really just him and now you've blessed, I think it's over 300 full-time staff are devoted to reaching Central and Eastern Europe with a message of the Gospel for the youth. Thank you even that we met at the huddle a couple weeks ago. One who was converted through this ministry and we met him in Colorado. He's pastoring in the, um, Eastern Europe. And God, you've done a wonderful work. I pray that you would continue to bless that work in a great way. And Lord, I would pray for this outreach week we're trying to have um, God, I pray that we would all see that that church isn't a matter of getting people here into this building only, but it's a matter of living lives for Christ wherever we are. Uh, I pray, Lord, that, that that just this might be the push that some of us need to be a little more proactive, to uh, maybe spend some more time with our neighbors, to um, to see what they are, see what their needs are, see if we can help. I, I just I, I think of. Uh, our neighbors across the street, we've talked to only a little bit, who have a, a wayward daughter about Chris's age, and we can help them. I pray you'd help us to see and know how to, how to help them. Um, or a, a couple down at the end of the street as well, who have about four kids, I think, and seem lost and um, without many friends and things to do. I pray that we would be able to reach out to them as well. So God, give us grace in these things. I pray that You would give grace to all of us. God, to have a heart that would beat for those without Jesus. They need to know the Savior. And they need to have their sins forgiven. They might enjoy Your glories forevermore. So I pray, God, that You would be a help and a refuge for us. So now I pray as we open Your Word, Lord, Would pray that You would stir our hearts affection towards You that we would find our rest in You and our trust in You. I, I think in my message today, it's, it's one I'm just pointing people again to You who alone can satisfy. And I pray that it would resonate in our hearts, that You would give us a vision for what David's heart was like, that we might know that as well. So help us now, we pray. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. Alright, well, the Bible says in... Uh, 1 Samuel 15, that David was a man after God's own heart. I'm not sure if you thought about that very much. David was a man after God's own heart. I just want to open up the floor a little bit here and just kind of say, what what is it that made David have a heart that was like God's? Because since God's heart is so much bigger than our heart, and it's so much purer than our hearts. But what are some characteristics of David that, caused God to even call him a man after my own heart. Any, any thoughts on that at all? Yeah, he loved God's law. You see, he loved the Word of God. Psalm 19 speaks about that. Just It's more precious to him than gold and silver. Sweeter also than the drippings of the honeycomb. Good. What, what else? A man after God's own heart. Yeah, he the He loved the Lord. Uh, I love the Lord, I think that 's Psalm eighteen it speaks about how he loves the Lord, loves the will of God, wants to walk in god 's ways uh, what else what yeah, he feared god he and and so, in fearing God, he wants to do what 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 God would have uh, for himself, and so he David wanted that as well, just right alongside it what he trusted in him for sure, David did yes, others. He loved the people of God. That's good. He was humble. humble, yeah, great, yeah. He just, he just, he his his heart resonated with God, even when it was turned upon himself. He just wanted what God would have. He, God. he submitted to Him, God, right, and obeyed Him. He longed to obey Him. When he didn't, his heart broke. Good. Well, these are these are all all good things. He was just looking at my notes here a little bit. He was a worshiper of God, calling out to God, praying to God, giving thanks to God, singing praise to his name, finding his greatest joy in the Lord, delighting in God. And the Bible says also that because he was a man after God's own heart, he found favor in God's sight. God heard his prayers, saved him from his enemies. Now, doesn't mean he was Perfect. When he sinned, as Grant said, he accepted the judgment of God, but I think he repented quickly. Not all the time he didn't repent quickly, but he he did repent and did turn and did say he he trusted in the Lord. And I think that's why he was a man after God's own heart, because he submitted himself. He didn't always do what was right, but he hated his sin and loved God, longed for fellowship with God, longed that God would show His mercy and grace to him. Well, as we come to our psalm today, Psalm 131. If you haven't opened your Bible, open your Bible to Psalm 131. There's a Bible in the pew in front of you if you need that. It's the Old Testament Psalms right in the middle. Psalm 131. It's one of the Psalms of Ascents. We've been working through the 15 Songs of Ascents from Psalm 120 to Psalm 134. These are the songs that Israel sang as they went up to Jerusalem as they were on their way going up to Jerusalem to worship the Lord three times a year according to the divine command of God. They went up to worship the Lord. And and this is our 11th Psalm today. And we have four more after this. we are kind of bouncing around thematically um, according to the um, time of the moment, according to the, the theme. Last week, we looked at Psalm 123, which you might call it a, a humble psalm, a, a humility psalm. Psalm 123, if you remember... Verse 1, to you I lift up my eyes, O you who are enthroned in the heavens. And they said, behold, as the eyes of a a servant looks to the hand of the master, as the eyes of a maid looks to the hand of a mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God until He be gracious to us. And the psalmist basically puts himself in a position of being a servant, looking to his master, just looking and longing for grace. It's a, a humble position of a servant looking to the master. And now also in Psalm 133:31, the, the message is much the same. This psalm is going to call us to humility. It's going to call us to hope. That's the title of my message this morning. Humility and hope. And really, my prayer in this message for all of you is that it would bring us all to a right humility before the Lord. That we would see our position before God that we would genuinely be humble in our hearts and that we would join David and, and put our place, place our hope and our trust in the Lord. So as I read Psalm 131, I want for you to listen to these two things. Humility and hope. A song of a sense of David. And by the way, this psalm, we really see David's heart, which is God's heart. After God's heart. O Lord, my heart is not proud, nor my eyes haughty, nor do I involve myself in great matters or in things too difficult for me. Surely I have composed and quieted my soul like a weaned child rests against his mother. My soul is like a weaned child within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forever. We see humility in the first two verses. We see hope in verse 3. We're going to spend the majority of our time in verses 1 and 2 with a brief exhortation to hope at the end. So let's look at humility. Verses 1 and 2. David says, O Lord, my heart is not proud nor my eyes haughty. That's not an easy thing to say. Often, those who make the statement discredit themselves and demonstrate that they are not humble. Instead, they are proud. If I would stand before you and say, I'm not proud and my eyes aren't haughty. You'd be like, well, I'm, I'm proud in saying that. It's a little bit like the word silence. It it breaks the very thing you say. And so claiming to be humble is the very thing that... that disregards what you say. I've heard the story this week of the Sunday school teacher who received the award for being the most humble Sunday school teacher in the church and um, was given a, a medal for this award. And so he came next Sunday and wore the award and actually it was then taken away from him because he was wearing his award. That, that, that's the trickiness of, of humility. The difficulty of claiming to be humble, of of writing on humility. And C.J. Mahaney wrote a book entitled Humility. Mark Dever on the back endorsed the book with these words. This is really good. He said, C.J. Mahaney is not humble. At least that's what he'll tell you. And that's one reason he's so well qualified to write this book. That makes sense, right? It's, It's not the... It's not the, the, the humble. It's, it's, it's the, those who know they're proud and aiming towards humility that really are qualified to do that. But David here claims that he has a, a humble heart. Oh, Lord, my heart is not proud. Now, the only other passage I know in the Bible that, that comes close to this is Numbers chapter 12, verse 3, which Moses himself wrote. And it said this, now, the man Moses was very humble, more than any man who was on the face of the earth. Come right from the pen of Moses. But normally you don't see that very often. But here it is, an instance where David himself claims to have a, a humble heart that's not proud. Claims to have lowly eyes that aren't, aren't so high and lofty they're just looking at themselves and looking at themselves as superior others. He claims his work is simple. It's a, it's a God-dependent work. He's not involving himself in great matters or things too difficult for him. So you start saying, well, how how can David make this claim? Is it really true? Well, one thing I want you to notice, this is a prayer. This wasn't meant necessarily, first of all, for public consumption to say, hey, I I am proud. David wasn't intending to broadcast how humble he was. He wasn't trying to prove the point to anyone. Rather, he was praying to God. He was praying to the one who knows everyone's heart and God would be the one to discern whether he was proud or not. And you know what? We do see an element of humility in David's life. It was the Lord who put David in power. I mean, David never sought. Think about this. David never sought to be king over Israel. It was God who sought David to be king over Israel. When Samuel came to the house of Jesse to anoint the next king, uh, he was there with his six brothers. And you don't find David jumping up and down saying, oh, 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 anoint me. Anoint me, Samuel. He was actually way out in the field with the, with the sheep. A lowly shepherd of an insignificant farmer. His brothers were tested one after another. And after going through the seven brothers, then it was determined that David, was there another one? He was the youngest. And, and he was out tending the sheep. So Samuel waited until he came back and received word from the Lord. This was the one. And Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. Here he was, anointed king while Saul was king. But even then when he was anointed king, he didn't seek the throne. Instead, he waited and waited and waited and waited. We don't know how long he waited, but he was 30 when he was enthroned king of Israel. And so when he was the youngest son, the little boy out tending the sheep, we don't know how old he was. Maybe 10, maybe 15, but you just do your math and all of a sudden realize he waited 15 or 20 years before he was actually installed as a king. And, and during that time, as Darcy mentioned, that he served Saul faithfully, even Saul, on two occasions, tried to, to kill him with a spear as he was ministering to him with music, trying to help calm Saul's spirit trying to kill him, but David escaped. And and then he was running in the wilderness. Saul is pursuing him with his army, trying to kill David. And on two separate occasions, David had a chance to kill him. Once David was hiding in a cave and Saul came into the very cave to relieve himself. And he was told, oh, kill him. He said, no, 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 I'm not going to. I'm just going to take a little bit from his robe. Or another time, he went right next to the camp and stole Saul's spear. He could have taken his spear and just got him right there when he was sleeping. But he didn't. Why didn't he? Because he wasn't going to touch the Lord's anointed. He trusted the Lord would strike Saul down. And indeed, the Lord eventually did, but 15-20 years later. That's how David's patience demonstrated his humility. He wasn't going to exalt himself. Rather, David waited for the Lord to exalt him. As James 4.10 says, Humble yourself in the presence of the Lord and He will exalt you. And to the humble... It doesn't matter how long it takes. You wait for God to exalt you. So it's possible that Psalm 131 was written during David's early years. The time of waiting. The time when all didn't quite seem right. He'd been anointed king, but it hadn't yet come to pass. He'd humbled himself. He hadn't known God's exalting in his life. But he just expressed his trust to God. Oh Lord, my heart's not proud. I'm not seeking great matters or in things too difficult for me. You've anointed me king and and I'm, I'm ready, but I'm really not seeking that, Lord. Uh, and just maybe that's when this psalm was written. But I think perhaps more probable is it was written in his later years. After he'd been through some trials and turmoils of life. I think it's more probable he wrote these words during a time of reflection. Summing up his life after he looked back, saw his mistakes and his sins, his own pride. And I think that life circumstances humbled him. Yes, he was a humble boy, but I think life circumstances did more to to crush him. And David, we find here in Psalm 131, is resting completely and trusting himself to God. And and I know that's true of my own life. I don't think this morning I'm a poster child for humility. I'm not. I see great pride in my heart all the time. Um, Yet there have been circumstances in my life that have humbled me. And the older I get, the more and more I see of of the number of things I can't do on my own. Um, See, when you're young, you're ambitious, right? You want to conquer the world. And as you get older, you get get tempered a little bit because there's no way you can conquer the world anymore. When you're you're young, you you can dream and you can be. But the older you get, there's a way that you see your own frailty and your own weakness, your own sin, your own limitation. And there's a way of humbling you. And I just say this, honestly, that nothing has done more to humble me than Rock Valley Bible Church. The first church of and I were involved in planting, boomed. It just went up quickly. And we didn't even really think about the circumstances surrounding that. And we just assumed that when we planted Rock Valley Bible Church, the same thing would go, boom. And it didn't quite do that. I, I had assumed all all the time. I was a great Bible teacher. All you needed to do was teach the Bible with clarity and passion and according to the truth and... People will come and the church will be built up. And people, of course, follow my great preaching and follow my great leadership abilities. But the older I've gotten, I can see that nothing could be further from the truth. I've seen how difficult leadership is. I've seen how my pride has crushed other people. I've seen how limited are my gifts. And certainly, we as a church have grown, but we've grown more slower than I anticipated. And that's a way of, of humbling a, a pastor. And um, I do believe I'm a different man today than I was 10 years ago, than I was in my earlier years, in the early years of this church. And and I know now, here's here's the perspective. Now, having gone through some trials of humbling, I I know now that if God would choose to really boom in a Blessed Rock Valley Bible Church, I I know that I would take it much differently now than I would have 10 years ago, in terms of just saying, you know what, it's it's nothing us. It's all of God and God gets all the glory because life's circumstances can have a way of, of humbling you. And, and I so much want in my heart here is to have Psalm 131 in, in my own heart. Oh Lord, may my eyes not be proud. May my heart not be proud. May my eyes not be haughty. May I not try these difficult and lofty things, but let me just do what You have called me to do. And as God has done His work in His life, I hope He's drawn me close to this ideal. And, but, but I also want our heart as a church to be like this as well. That we all would have humble hearts. And that we all would have lowly eyes. And we would engage in doing what, what we can do and not, not think that we can accomplish all these great things apart from God and His power. I have a long way to go, certainly, but David seemingly has arrived. And I I think it's because God continued to work in his life to bring him to a point of humility. And I think it's a psalm written towards the end of his life when his heart was increasingly conformed to trust the Lord for all things. Because, I say that David's rule and reign was not without his proud moments. And uh, nor is it that he only attempted the simple and easy work. There, There were times when David was proud. But every time, God brought him low. And turned his heart soft as a demonstration to pull out his humility. And and it may be very well that David's circumstances brought him to that place. Or I might say it this way. God used David's pride and the pain it caused to teach him humility. Or you might say it this way. We know the Proverbs says pride comes before the fall. But have you ever considered this? that it's often the fall that comes before humility. Is that that when you fall, you realize, oh, I guess I'm not that strong, or I'm not that wise, or I'm not that intelligent. And the fall then will bring a humility. And I think that's what happened in David's life. I mean, just think about the times when he responded in pride. Remember the time when he said he wanted to build a house for God? 2 Samuel 7. He called Nathan the prophet to him and said, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar. The ark of God dwells within tent curtains. And his tent was to build a house. Now, certainly the good intentions there. Solomon, his own son, quoted the Lord, said, You do well that it was in your heart, and yet it was presumptuous. God had never approached David and said, We've got a problem here, David. You're, you're dwelling in this house of cedar, and I'm only in tent curtains. You need to build a permanent house for me where I can dwell. David was coming up with this and there was some pride in there and, and God said no. And then God took David out and He said, okay, let's think about your life, David. I brought you up from the pasture from following sheep to be ruler of My people Israel. I've been with you wherever you've gone. My blessing has been upon you. You have been blessed greatly and then he said, here's a great thing I'm going to do for you. Your house and your kingdom shall endure before me forever. Your throne will be established forever. But he wasn't going to build this house. But God was blessing him in an even greater way. And at that point, David responded in humility and submission. He said this, Second Samuel seven eighteen. Who am I, O Lord God? And what is my house that you've brought me thus far? What more can David say to you? For I know... Your servant, O Lord, your God, O Lord God, for you, O Lord God, have spoken and with your blessing, may the house of your servant be blessed forever. You, you see there, he's he's got a, a disposition, maybe that's more humble. It just says, God, you're, you're, you're everything. I don't need to build this house. And I think that those words, he learned humility from that action. Or do you remember when he sinned with Bathsheba? I think there's a prideful time. I mean... That's very arrogant that David could see this woman bathing and think that I can have her because I'm the king. And in his pride, he thought he could command the murder of her husband. In his pride, he thought he could get away with it. But the Lord was faithful to show him his sin, even when he was quiet without for it for a year. Nathan the prophet came and he, he humbled himself, confessed his sin to the Lord, pleaded, Lord, forgive him. And if you read Psalm 51 or Psalm 32, You'll just see the humble David. Be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the greatness of your compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. He just said, I, I, I know. My sin, God, and I know that that you're the only one who can forgive. So I said against you, you only have sinned. Oh, please forgive me, God. And that's a a position of humility. It's a position we almost come to, to come to Christ, to see our sin and to beg God that he would purify me with hyssop. He would wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. That God would stir in our hearts. That he'd make us to hear joy and gladness. That our bones, which God has broken, might rejoice. David responded with humility. And, and one way to show that is even when, when his son Absalom took over the throne by deceit. Remember when David quietly left the city? He was barefoot with his head covered. And then there was a guy over here, I forget, I don't know if he's to the right or the left, but remember what he was doing, what his name was? Who remembers his name? He's walking out Jerusalem. A guy named Shimmy. You remember him? He's throwing stones at David and he's calling him a worthless fellow. 2 Samuel 16, 7. Get out, get out, you man of bloodshed, you worthless fellow. And he's pelting him with rocks. Here's the king who just had a coup and he's leaving humbly barefoot. He's getting pelted with rocks. And Abishai heard this and said, why should this dead dog curse the king? Let me go over now and cut off his head. Like the queen of spades or the queen of hearts or whatever it is in Alice in Wonderland. Off with his head! And David, as a response of humility, said this, Let him alone and let him curse, for the Lord has told him. Perhaps the Lord will look on my affliction and return good to me instead of his cursing this day. I think the deal is that David's sin had so crushed him that the mere throwing of stones and the cursing words were unable to crush him any lower because he was crushed from his sin before the Lord. And eventually then... God did turn around the coup of Absalom and the cursing of Shimei and eventually the Lord did restore his throne. But he humbled himself for the presence of the Lord and then God did exalt him at the proper time. But I think he learned his humility through his falls. And that wasn't the end of David's prideful days, even near the end. You remember when, when David commanded Joab, the commander of the army, go out now through all the tribes of Israel, Dan to Beersheba, Dan in the north, Beersheba in the south, and register the people, that I may know the number of the people and Joab knew that it was wrong, knew that it was just pride in his heart. He just wanted to know how big his army was and he resisted him. And yet David's forceful insistence won the day and the people were numbered soon afterwards. Then his heart was troubled. He said, I've sinned greatly in what I've done, but now, O Lord, please take away the iniquity of your servant. For I've acted very foolishly. And again, there's David's humility on display. He sinned, but he repented and he sought the grace of the Lord. And that is what humility is humility is a is a repentance it's owning up to your own shortcomings it is not lifting yourself up above others like I get humbled all the time at my house like when it comes to art and music I like I know I'm art and music stupid okay so maybe i'm maybe I'm humble in this area but Whenever I make a suggestion to my artistic and musical children, you know how that goes over? Like a lead brick. Like, oh, well, like, like, what about this? And they just look at me and say, are you serious? That would not work. Like I was talking about, they, they did a, a video of this movie last, uh, this wedding, kind of doing montage, and I had this great idea about what would work. And they said, really, Dad, do you think that would work? I said, Yeah. But, you know, I'm willing to admit my shortcomings, although I come with my suggestions because I think they're good, but I get humbled every time I try to do that. So I say, okay, you guys you guys just have your deal. That's what humility is, is not not holding your own way, not pushing your own way in your pride, but really understanding where your your way is. And that was King David. He knew where his place was. He was humble before the Lord. That's why he could even say, Oh Lord, my heart is not proud, nor my eyes haughty. And I think when you look at his reign, you realize he was a humble leader. Peter told the elders of the church not to lord it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock instead. I think that's what David's life was about. I mean, you just read his Psalms and you just say, Gee, David is an example. That's what I'm arguing today, is that David is an example for us to follow in humility. And David's humility, though, does lead us to the greater David, Jesus. He was the perfectly humble one. He said, think about this, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom. for If you knew the full majesty of Jesus, you'd realize what a humble statement that was. That Jesus, the, the grand and glorious one who Paul said in Philippians 2, who Although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of man, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a a cross. And so when he said the Son of Man did not come to be served as he deserved, but to serve, that was a huge statement of Humility. Jesus went from Godhead to humanity. He went from glory to shame, from comfort to agony, from receiving worship to receiving insults, from ruling to being trampled upon, from royalty to servanthood. But such is the fruit of humility. And where David may have approximated that, Jesus did that in the greatest way. He was willing to let others despise him and mock him and crucify him, knowing that someday God would turn the tables. And and God did after he died. And it may be that for humble people, it's only after you die that God will exalt you. And it may be that in ages to come, the true heroes of the church are actually revealed later. Humble yourself in the presence of the Lord. God will exalt you. That's what happened in the life of Jesus. Exalted in heaven. Because Jesus willingly humbled Himself, God highly exalted Him and bestowed on Him the name which is above every name. So at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow those in heaven and on earth and under the earth. So at the name of Jesus, every tongue will confess that He is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And the slain Lamb, Jesus Christ, shall be worshipped forever because He purchased for God with His blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. He humbled Himself God highly exalted him, but pride is the opposite. Pride is where you want others to think highly of you, and you lift yourself up, and you want glory from the world, but that will only come to ruin as pride goes before the destruction. See, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. All who are proud will face the resistance of God. Proverbs fifteen twenty five says the Lord will tear down the house of the proud. Humility, on the other hand, will receive the blessing of God. Humble people will receive the grace of God. Humility is the path to the kingdom of God. What God calls us to do? He calls us to see our sin, acknowledge our sin, turn from it, confess it, and then seek the One who can help us. And to those people, God will have favor. Isaiah 66, verse 2, To this One I will look, to him who is humble and contrite a spirit who trembles at My Word. God looks with favor upon the humble, those who are broken in spirit, who see their sin. God looks upon those who take His Word and read it and tremble at it. That's what made David a man after God's own heart. And and that's really, if you look, that's the message of verse 2. Just resting and trusting in God's Word. Look at 2. Surely I have composed and quieted my soul like a weaned child rests against his mother, my soul is like a weaned child within me. David here is picturing his humility. He says, I'm humble, but let me show you how, how that works and how I, I am humble. I, I'm, I'm like this child upon a mother's arms. And this child's a weaned child. So you think about the age. This isn't an infant. This is a weaned child. So this is maybe a child of three, maybe two, maybe one. Just a child that that is fully content, that is maybe scared at some point, but just kind of resting there in mom's arms. And I know we've got enough kids around here. I know that you've seen that. And, and David says, That's how I am. I, I'm not seeking grandiose things. I'm just, I'm just like this little child, just resting upon this mother. And he says, Like, like a weaned child, so is my soul. My, my soul is like that towards you, O oh God. I'm, I'm resting securely, I, I'm content, I'm trusting in you. And that's how he showed his humility. As resting and trusting in the Lord, he stilled his soul, he shut his mouth, placed himself in the care of God, and he was good at that, good with that. Steve Lawson says it this way: He was not giving God the solution to his problems, but is waiting for him to speak. There's a humble heart, it says God here. I, I've got all these, these things, but you know what? I'm not worrying about them. I'm just placing it in your hands, and I'm sitting quiet. We sang today. It is well with my soul. When peace like a river attends my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well. It is well with my soul. Even with the all the going around, I'm just, I'm just resting and trusting in the Lord. I'm like Jonah in the bottom of the, of, the, of the ship during the sea. I'm like Jesus sleeping in the ship in the sea. I'm just content and trusting the Lord. The hymn writer says it this way. Be still, my soul. The Lord is on thy side. Bear patiently the cross of grief or pain. Leave to thy God... To order and provide in every charge, He faithful will remain. Be still, my soul, thy best, thy heavenly friend. Though thorny ways lead, through thorny ways lead to a joyful end. And that's where David was in this psalm. He was, it was humble, and maybe my time, my message should be humble, content, and hopeful. But I came up with that too late to change the sermon notes, but it would be like he's, he's content is what verse two is talking about. He's safe, secure. He's satisfied. He doesn't need his mother's milk. because He's been weaned, but he relishes his mother's care. I think that's where David's humble heart had led him, trusting in the Lord's working. He, he's, he, he doesn't have to do things for his own, he doesn't look for his own grandizement. He's just trusting and resting in the Lord. And I love how David Pallison describes David at this moment. He says, This person in Psalm 131 is quiet on the inside because he's learned the only true and lasting composure. He he shared the details of what the peace that passes understanding is like. And amazingly, this man isn't noisy inside. He isn't busy busy, not obsessed, not on edge. The to-do list and the pressures to achieve don't consume him. Ambition doesn't churn inside. Failure and despair don't haunt him. Anxiety isn't spinning him into a free fall. He isn't preoccupied with thinking up the next thing he wants to say. Regrets don't corrode his inner experience. Irritation and dissatisfaction don't devour him. He's not stumbling through minefields of blind longings and fears. He is quiet. He's content. He's trusting and resting in God, I believe, in His humility. Simple question. Does does today find you humble like a child in God's lap? Or are you anxious, trials and things going on? You're just busy. Or are you just... Are you resting in Him? Are you humbly trusting the Lord for all the details in your life? You remember when Jesus was walking about and He saw the people without a shepherd, He was concerned about them, and and He was speaking to them, He said, Come to Me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You remember that? Another time in John chapter 7, verse 37, He he was crying out that He is the, the water of life. And He said, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to Me and drink. He who believes in Me, as the Scripture says, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water, drinking from God, drinking from Christ, and flowing rivers of water, you're not thirsty anymore. The picture right here of the one who, who trusts and stands. Are you running ragged in your life? Just busy, 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 busy. And I know this is our tendency in America. We have things to learn from third world com- countries where they don't have much to do, they can't do anything, so there's a lot more resting there. We live in a stressful society. The, the book by your bed, Ivan, I forgot the title. Randy and Nancy Alcorn wrote a book entitled Women Under Stress. And I uh, just read a lot of good things in there just about just how stressful we can be, how stressful life is. And That, that book is trying to lead to this point as well. Just a, a trusting and resting in God. This is a, a humble psalm just like Psalm 123. I'm encouraging you to lift up your eyes to the Lord and find your rest completely in Him. If sin has stirred your heart and you're just anxious. I pray just throw that on him. I was listening to a testimony on the radio. I think it was Josh McDowell this, this past week. And uh, he's on Family Life Today, I think, some radio show. And uh, he was just talking about how when he came to Christ, just all of his sin and this burden that he had all of a sudden was lifted and he was finally like free. Do you know what that's like? To face no condemnation from the Lord? To know that all your sins have been taken care of at the cross. It's a blessed place to be. And I call you to believe in Christ and trust Him for forgiveness. Maybe your life is like the anti-Psalm to Psalm 131. David Paulson in his article that I, I read he, he, um, about this psalm, he, he, he wrote an anti-Psalm. Here's what he said. So every word in Psalm 131, he just kind of turned. starts like this. Self, rather than, oh, Lord, he said, self, my heart is proud and my eyes are haughty and I chase after things too great and difficult for me. So, of course, I'm noisy and restless inside. It comes naturally like a hungry infant fussing on his mother's lap, like a hungry infant. I'm restless with my demands and worries I scatter my hopes onto anything and everybody all the time. That's like the opposite of what David's getting at here. It's not to be anxious. Not to be restless. But to find quiet rest in the Lord which is the fruit of humility. And could it be that all of our hustle and bustle of our lives has its root in our pride? Because we've got to go so many places to do so many things? For us. We want to do everything. We want the approval of others. We want to be seen as those who achieve it. But you know what? We can't do everything. You have a limit. And God calls you, though, to rest below that limit. He calls us to be like contented children resting upon their mother's arms. You remember when Jesus was asked, Who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Do you remember what he did? He used an object lesson, right? And what did he pick up? What was the object lesson? A little child. He picked up in his arm. He said, you want to get in the kingdom of heaven, you be like this. He said, I'll quote him. Matthew 18, verse 3. Truly, I say to you, unless you're converted and become like children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever then humbles himself as this child, he is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And that's exactly the message of Psalm 131. Lord, I've reached a point I'm not seeking after my own glory. Right? I'm not proud. I'm not trying to overextend myself and do what I, I can't really do anyway apart from You. Uh, I'm like this little child resting upon his mother. I'm resting in You. My soul is resting in You. And I am happy and content in being there. And verse 3 calls us to join Him in that. Verse 3, real quick. O oh Israel, hope in the Lord. From this time forth and forever. This is my second point. Hope. It's going to be a lot shorter than my first point. In fact, if I go five minutes, I'll be shocked. Hope in the Lord. How else could David be like this child upon his mother? How else could David's soul be like that? It's because his his hope was in the Lord. And by the way, this was David's cure to Israel. But it wasn't only David's cure for Israel. It's his cure for us today. Because what was true in David's day, trusting and resting in the Lord, was true in Jeremiah's day, even when Israel was about to be sacked by King Nebuchadnezzar. And what was true in Jeremiah's day was true in Nehemiah's day, when they have to build the wall the shovel in one hand, the sword in the other, lest the, their enemies come and attack. There still is a resting. These take place in the Lord. And what's true in Nehemiah's day was true in the days of Jesus. He said, Come unto me and find your rest in me. was true in the days of Jesus was true in the day of Augustine. The church finally had some freedom to go and progress. And was true in the days of the Reformation. When the Bible is being rediscovered and the truth of justification by faith alone. True in the 1700s. True in the 1800s. True in the 1900s. And true today in the 2000s. All of our sin. All of our struggle. All of our failures. All of our pride. All of our worry. All of our anxieties. All of our raggedness. Are to find their trust as we hope in the Lord. We give it to Him. That was the message of Psalm 130. Look at how Psalm 130 ends. Verse 7. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is loving kindness and with Him is abundant redemption and He will redeem Israel from all His iniquities. That's the hope He's talking about here. Hope in the Lord who's who's there to forgive. He's there to forgive all who turn from their sin and repent. So do you want a quiet and humble soul? Have I painted a nice picture of what it means to walk a contented life? Then hope in the Lord. Trust Him. Humility and hope. Let's pray. My soul waits in silence for God only, for my hope is from Him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my stronghold. I shall not be shaken. On God, my salvation and my glory rests. The rock of my strength, my refuge is in God. Trust in Him, O peoples. Pour out your heart before Him. God is a refuge for us. Lord, I pray that in an ever-increasing way You might help all of us at Rock Valley Bible Church to realize that we can trust in You at all times. That You are a refuge and You are our strength. and Help us to see that in the busyness of life and activities and trying to reach out to neighbors and trying to serve friends in the church and trying to do this or that, I pray you'd help us to see that we need to trust and rest in you. We need to be like Paul. I've learned the secret of being filled and going empty. I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am, because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So God, I pray you'd strengthen us towards contentment and a rest in You that we would be humble, that we would be content, and that we would place our hope and trust in You. Thank You for Your Word. I pray it would do a great work in all of our hearts for the glory of Jesus. Amen.